With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. E-L-C. Yeah! There it is! When that robot voice comes in, you know it's time to begin. And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to ELC. Especially if you're one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. Or, hey, maybe you're strolling through, admiring those leaves that are changing, walking the dog, getting some fresh air. Whatever the case, we're going to be in your ear holes for 90-plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week, delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free. Thanks to our patrons at patreon.com slash Pod. They bring the show to you. Their generosity, their support means we get to keep making these. And in exchange, they get some cool stuff, including ad-free versions of the show, video versions of the show on demand, and a whole bevy of bonus content, including the Wednesday bonus show we call Paid DLC, where Lana Bashinsky joins Christian and I to talk about a wide range of topics, all served up by our patrons. We also have... Feeling This, the show where Christian Spicer and Alex Solman talk about the feelings behind video games, deep dives, really interesting discussions, all exclusive to our patrons. Plus, you get the audio podcast version of the DLC book club. So much great stuff, all by ensuring this podcast gets to continue at patreon.com slash DLC pod. But this show, the main show, it's the show all about games in their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. <laughs> the guy who's ready for Spooktober, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Welcome to Spoopy Season! <laughs> Spoopy! Spoopy! Spoop! Spoop! Spoopy! Christian, you're keeping I, your skeletons in your closet, though, I, my understanding. My closet being my body. I'm trying to keep them in there as long as I can. I'm not letting the skeleton <laughs> escape. It's mine. It keeps trying to, like, crawl its way out. And I'm like, get back into this meat husk. Nice try, skeleton. My Classic teeth, I couldn't get them move. back in. They came out. And I'm like, get back in there! You know, like... Hey, we, uh, you know how, remember how last <laughs> week we said we had a ton of stuff to get to. And the week before that, we were like, it can't, we, it can't possibly be crazier <laughs> than this every single week. It turns out we got another one for you. We got another one for you. Just chock full of crazy news, huge games. It's, uh, let's be frank. It's, it's too much. Spooktober! To handle. It's too much to handle. <laughs> it's thrilling. It's chilling. And that voice, that giggle that you're hearing, ladies and gentlemen, means that you know DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, oh, I'm super excited because once again, DLC stands for Discussions with Lucas from Canada because <laughs> we good. have Games Media Royalty back with us, folks. 
one of the guys who was there first and still one of the best, our friend from Electric Playground and the EPN TV network on YouTube. It's Mr. Victor Lucas. Hey, Vic, how are you? I'm great. And holy crap, Jeff, that is just an amazing switch that you have. We're having a chill conversation and then boom, it's time to go. It's so incredible <laughs> to watch that, man. I love it. It's Thanks. fantastic. The, uh, the music does all the work. It's, uh, it's, it's the other way around, though. It, someone is holding the switch down to keep yeah. Jeff oh, chill. Like, like if you that. let go of that. Yeah. His children are like, keep it constrained, Dad. Keep it constrained. <laughs> then that slips well, and Jeff goes, baby. We have a video connection. So I'm watching your faces and Christian, you're just like yeah i've heard this before i've heard this before <laughs> and jeff is just rocking it man it's incredible to watch you That's... guys have got this down and thank you so much for having me back i love chatting with both of you guys it has been way too long and we got like Big i time. said so much to get into let's dive right in and start the show the way we always do with story of the week story of the week it's the story of the week story of the week it's the story Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. That's also where you can send comments or questions, anything you'd like us to know. We love hearing from you, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. But that's not the only way to get in touch. You can also hang out in one of our communities. We have a subreddit at 5x5dlc.reddit.com. And a Discord, which is 5x5DLC on Discord as well. Lots of cool folks hanging out, talking about the show, talking about games, talking about all sorts of stuff. You should uh, you should participate and get in there as well. But, Vic, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Uh, well, that's a tough one with Jim Ryan and the epic layoffs. Um Let's go with the epic layoffs. Let's start with a bummer and just yeah. another one in a deluge of bummers this year. It's amazing, right? What a dichotomy, like this incredible run of top tier games, just boom, boom, boom. And then layoff after layoff after layoff. It's really sad. But epic came out of the blue. Total yeah. shock. Absolutely. You said it very well. You know, it's the best of times. It's the worst of times. Yeah, uh, the, the, we feel like we're in this, the highest of highs with all these incredible games coming out. One of the best years of ga gaming of all time. Oh, it, it's unquestionably the best year of gaming. Absolutely. This year. Yeah, I think I yeah. mean, I think uh, there you go. You have it. Vic Lucas said it. I mean, who, who, who better an expert? Um, <laughs> I mean, I've covered most of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and this it. is th this is the best year that we've ever had. It's just don't been even relentless. ask Vic about ninety four. <laughs> oh, he'll talk about PTSD. Worst year. The, <laughs> the, uh, the sad truth is that along with that, we are getting this massive um, you know, churn. This the, these layoffs. This. A lot of people responsible for all of the wonderful games that we're getting this year. Uh, many of them finding themselves unemployed. And yes, Epic Games, which feels like this monolith of income around Fortnite and and around yeah. its engine and all that stuff, you feel would be uh, inured to that. And yet, no, 16% of its staff, uh, which is uh, equates to about 830 employees, we're laid off this week. Um, yep. This is two-thirds of the people were in teams outside core development, they say. Um, most of them were from Super Awesome and Bandcamp. Um, you know, Epic put out a statement saying these uh, will financially stabilize their business. They say that things have changed uh, drastically with Fortnite's 
income. Uh, and, uh, you know, this comes alongside V-Bucks in Fortnite. Prices going up in most countries, <clears throat> including the United States and Canada. Um, right. So, uh, Vic, I mean, this is, as you said, a massive bummer. Um, we just saw, we just talked about this last week. We saw last week this, you know, this massive uh, leak of internal Xbox uh, correspondence. Yes. Where Phil yeah. Spencer kind of identifies this problem on its head saying, hey, th- these publishers, all they've got is budget. All they've got is these massive bets to make. Uh, yeah. And uh, many of them aren't sustainable. It's not a sustainable business model. And here we see the proof of that. This It's a couple of different things, though, from my vantage point. This is more about live service, uh, legal bets, you know, chasing Apple and Google is very expensive. All of those court cases is very are very expensive. And the metaverse and trying to sort of front load Fortnite and, and get us thinking about Fortnite as a conduit to a metaverse, an open metaverse that Tim Sweeney envisions and a lot of other technologists and, and tech, uh, technology leaders are thinking about. That's different, I think, from the AAA budget uh, quagmire that a lot of game developers are in. And talk about not being able to find a weekend to launch something. You know, this year is a perfect example of that. And uh, it's, I mean, there, there's, there's two huge things at play, but let's focus on Epic here for a second. I like Tim. I've known him and talked to him many times over the years, and I like his... Uh, you know, ideas. And I think he's a good person. I know that he invests a lot of his money back into uh, green space in North Carolina. I think he's got a lot of good ideas, but it is a little crazy to spend so much time fighting Apple and Google, even if they are, you know, taking advantage of the consumer and taking advantage of, of developers. And he has put his company sort of at the front lines of that battle. And I just think that you know there there needs to be a way that they can kind of figure it out together as opposed to going into courtrooms to try to figure it out and maybe that's a little utopian for me but I I don't know I think that he's taken so much and put so much attention there and I think people are also getting a little exhausted with all of the live service choice out there so in that way I think there is a little bit of a uh um, a reflection of what's happening with AAA, um, and you know the the monetization models and all of that stuff. And Fortnite's been accused of all kinds of you know sneaky and shady stuff. Um, but there, there's a lot of other elements at play in here. Plus, Epic has taken in a ton of investment from different companies, and they've grown and grown. They've acquired other companies. It feels like some of this could have been. Uh, um, sidestepped or investment could have gone in a different direction to create new IP or something like that. But it's really easy to be on the outside and to uh, uh, tell these companies how to run their business and how to figure it out. But I do feel like chasing this metaverse thing and cramming it down our throats a little bit too soon. It does It does kind of feel like, um, you know, trying to popularize VR before it's kind of fully cooked a little bit. It's There's some parallels there. Um, so, yeah, I think, frankly, Epic had too many eggs in a basket and we're chasing all kinds of different things. And, and uh, it's come back to bite them in the ass. I, I, I feel like some of the commentary around it from Epic and from Tim should have been a little bit more sensitive. And I also think that he should have come out first and said, I'm taking a pay 
break. Mm. I'm taking a pay cut, yeah. you know, take some st- take some lessons from what Nintendo does whenever they have a downturn and uh, focus on their people and say that, you know, like a- a- any company out there, the people are the assets. And if you're not figuring out how to sur- survive when you're at the top of the game, like Epic is, if you don't have a plan for when things go bad, what does that say about the rest of the business? You know, like they were, they've been bringing in all of this money from all of these different ways and maybe spending it in a bunch of weird ways or, or, you know, from the outside inappropriate ways, but it's still a shock when a company that's this financed can't figure out a way to pivot and change with a a tough moment like this, you know, and just being so cold about saying, okay, we've got to lose all this. And frankly, what I've been reading is that that isn't the full scope of the layoffs. There were people that didn't know they were laid off or they, people forgot to lay them off. And then the next day they laid them off. And there's a whole bunch of other, uh, I think, part-timers and contributors around the world that also were affected. Um, so I, I don't think we know the full scope of all of this. But, um, I, you know, I don't know if the 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 great solution to all of it either is that we're going to have a better metaverse product at <laughs> the end of this, you know? Right. Yeah. Uh, well yeah. said. I mean, 830 employees plus 250 more that we know about from uh, divestitures, um, you know, over a thousand people. Christian, of course, our hearts go out to those folks dealing with that. It's it's a, a brutal thing to go through. Yeah. But, you know, what's the solution here? What It seems like we have a an entire industry, you know, if, if Epic and Fortnite do it. What's yeah. what's the solution? Uh, here's part of uh, Sweeney's um, uh, statement. You know, um, says uh, while Fortnite is starting to grow again, the growth is driven primarily by creator content with significant revenue sharing, and this is a lower margin business than we had when Fortnite Battle Royale took off and began funding our expansion. Success with the creator ecosystem is a great achievement, but it means a major structural change to our economics. Um, and Christian, of course, straight major structural change means people lose their jobs. What do you think? Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said right now for entering a world without unlimited free money, uh, not unlimited re- free money for us or our listeners per se, but big businesses for so long, we're getting 0% interest rates and the idea mm. of having access to capital as a big successful business, you could get, oh, I'm simplifying things, dear listeners, please know that. But generally speaking, you could get almost unlimited money almost for free, if not free, because the interest rate was so small, you're betting on your success, you're going to take in all this money, take in all this debt, and you were able to grow or try to grow because you were betting on yourself. And I think Epic right now is struggling with an idea of what is the cost of being first and whether or not it's worth it. As Vic mentioned, a, a lot of companies are, are latched onto this idea of the metaverse, or some companies latched onto Web3 in a big way. They're trying to find the next 10 or the next unicorn, the next billion-dollar idea that hasn't been exploited yet in the space. Yeah. And whether it's market Facebook dumping billions into VR or AR or now MR, because they're rebranding it to try to keep it, keep money coming in for it. It's not the failed thing before. It's it's MR. So if it's Mark at Facebook doing or at Meta doing that to try to bet on the next thing or Epic betting on this creator universe or metaverse to do this, to have this be the thing. Being first is oftentimes lucky, one, 
and two, very expensive because you're creating a market and a niche and building this thing that otherwise doesn't exist and you don't quite know how to do it. Under the Steve Jobs era, Apple was famous for not doing that. They yeah. would wait to be second or third or fifth, but do well, it when they Nintendo's feel like- Nintendo's business model too. It, yeah. it, yes, very well said. Nintendo also has famously said, we are going yep. to constrain ourselves in the technology scope so that our ideas and creativity are fully formed. And so is the hardware in which we're working with. And so they're innovative in some ways. I don't want to say Nintendo's not innovative, but they're not trying to be first to that space. And so Epic is seeing this, I think, it's it's very expensive and you get a lot of misses. Uh, the last point I want to make, Jeff, is to your point, and I think Victor's point too, of the people. And I've never, thankfully, had to lay off 16% or more of my workforce, and I'm sure it's not easy to do. It's because um, I would be half a person. You'd have to cut off loose. <laughs> Your I, workforce I would basically is tell, one person. So I would, tell my child, <laughs> I would tell my child to please leave me alone for an extra hour. I think <laughs> Um, I'm sorry, I have but, to lay off your left leg. I apologize. <laughs> there's a statement in here where on the Epic Games site with a blog post, and there's like the general nicety saying goodbye to people, it's hard, blah, 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 blah. But then there's this paragraph that kind of, not kind of, it rubs me the wrong way. For those still at Epic, you'll hear more from senior leaders about the path forward for your team. Epic's prospects for the future are strong. We have amazing game experiences across multiple platforms. We've built the best engine in the world and we'll be hosting Unreal Fest next week to bring the community together and spotlight the things they are building with Unreal Engine. Creators are making a living from building for the Fortnite ecosystem with time and third-party games now exceeding first party. We're cutting costs without breaking development of our core line of business. And it's like this, what rubbed me the wrong way about that is this idea of like, yeah, it never feels good to let people go. But if you're still here... Please know we're great. Everything the is on great. Friday. <laughs> yeah, we're doing awesome. Yeah. Everything is going to be awesome. And to me, that feels like a having your cake and eating it too. And it, it can't be both things. You can't be great if you lay off 16% of your workforce. That's not an overest. That's not an oopsie 3% market adjustment. Yeah. And so it, it rubs me the wrong way. And I think it's difficult and hard and it's a, it's a bummer. Um, and I don't think we're done seeing this, unfortunately. I do not. Well, yeah, no, I think it's, uh, yeah. I, I mean, the other AAA stuff, let's, we should talk about that a little bit too. But the uh, uh, it, it is weird to think of Fortnite as the conduit to the metaverse, you know, and just to hear that metaverse getting thrown around so much. It's weird that it's coming from individual companies. You know, it should be a collection of businesses, of media propagators, media creators coming together to share a truly open thing. I mean, that's kind of the message that Tim has been projecting, you know, um, the, but also we want to own it. <laughs> yeah. And, and Zuckerberg is kind of the same thing. And, yeah. and that's the reticence that I think everybody has, you know, like I think that we're all s- skeptical I mean, for Christ's sakes, they made Ready Player One, which was a pretty terrific movie, but Warner Brothers owned it and they put all of their own IP in there. And so it was yeah. weird. And it was weird that Metaverse Spielberg just as our stuff. Yeah. yeah and, and Spielberg directed it. And he was he felt weird about putting all of his content into the movie because it's him directing it. And that's what the book was. And so that was weird as well, you know? And so if you are talking about the metaverse in any way and you're gatekeeping or you're trying to kind of rein it in in a way, I don't think 90% or 99% of, of Earth wants to interact with, you know, the metaverse as, as our new web platform, but it's Fortnite, you know? That's, yeah. 
and it's tough because clearly, you know, Tim and leadership at Epic convinced a lot of people that that was the way forward, you know? Yeah. And I really do think like if, if you're a billionaire like Tim is, and you're running this huge company and you are making massive cuts like this, you should come out and say, this is what I'm doing. You know, this is what I personally am going to do to help with this situation. Not just, I'm the leader. I got this figured out. We're all good. Don't yeah. worry. Let's party. You know, I'm, it should I'm be- also suffering because I had to tell everyone that they're fired. And that's yeah, hard. That's hard. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, I, yeah. I think you guys are so spot on with your uh, assessment and, and particularly Vic with, with, you know, kind of zeroing in on, on this big bet that they've made. But, uh, you know, I, I can't help but resonate, continue to resonate with that, um, with, with those statements from Phil Spencer that we saw last week. Yeah. Um, just sort of pinpointing the problem that, that these big publishers all they had to fall back on was scale. Like what the only thing they could do that, that the, the little guy couldn't is make is, is fund $200 million this and $200 million that. And those, when those fail, it takes down huge arms of those companies and they have to pass that hurt onto the employees. And it's just, it just is, it's a fundamentally broken model. Plus, they're public companies, so it's not even like Final Fantasy 16 is not a failure. It's a hit, but not enough of a hit, right. you know? And so Square is going to take a big, real hit. And uh, yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot this year. I, I always think about that, you know? I, I've been saying this forever, and I don't know if this is the answer, but games are priced too high. That's why free-to-play snuck in and was the great disruptor first on mobile and then with things like Fortnite. Um, but games are very exclusive to people. Like you really have to be committed to this medium to want to go and spend a hundred dollars before you get your ticket. And honestly, there are, there's a lot of software that doesn't justify that purchase price. And there's a lot of software that gets made that feels a little padded to try to make that dollar amount. And then there's all of this great multiplayer confusion out there where there's tons of good free multiplayer games, which are all banking on live service as well. So it's incredibly muddy. And I think at the core of why people aren't jumping in, I asked uh, my my Facebook pals. So, you know, I, I, I've been doing this for a while, so I have a lot of older friends that are on Facebook. But I asked my Facebook pals, and a lot of them make games if they play games. And why why not if they don't? And there was no judgment. And a lot of people replied time including a lot of people that make games. And I think it's time and cost that is really hurting this business. And now Capcom is out there saying that games should cost more and and to the consumer because they already spend so much. And I, I feel like the business should be working its way to um, impulse buys. Like how many DVDs and CDs and books and other pieces of media have you guys bought because it was priced at a price point that didn't was even you didn't even think about it. It's twenty right. bucks. It's thirty bucks or whatever. Boom, gets added to the cart. Games Paramount are not Plus, like that. Disney Plus, like that's what all those subscription services were too. And now they're creeping up. They were all impulse subs. Like ah, yes. five dollars a month, eight dollars a month. I can do all of those. Yes, yeah. Yeah. creeping higher yeah. and higher. Well, and, now and it's the back other thing cable. is that the other thing is that you know, uh, Epic behaving like Fortnite is forever, right? The yeah. one thing we know is that none of these games are forever. Not you the know, live that, service ones. Well, yeah. none of them. Because none the of business them. doesn't want to 
find a way to keep them for people forever, which sucks as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, and I think that, yeah. the, you know, the taste of the consumer are mercurial and there's so much competition that Fortnite can be the you know, biggest game in the world as it was for many years. And yeah. it's still going to be a thousand people getting laid off because, you know, it's not the can, biggest can I, game can, on the planet right this can second. Can I put on my conspiracy uh, tinfoil hat into the into the mix here? It's amazing that all of this discussion is happening just as the AI wars are starting. <laughs> yeah. Right? Because wouldn't it be just a terrific solution for investors? We, you know, we had to let go of 20% of our workforce, but we're employing AI, so we're fine. We're going to be okay, and the profits are going yeah. to be up there. I mean, that's very cynical, and I, I hope companies well, aren't I mean, thinking like that. It doesn't take much digging down in, in the statement to see it's like we, we were laying off our people, but it's okay because the players are doing all the. We got a creator-owned economy now, right? Yeah, uh, they're create. You know, the, it, it, and if any creator economy has shown you anything, is that those generous revenue shares are also not forever. None of that stuff is forever. You can yeah. never, when you're relying on another business to pay you, to give you a piece of the pie, yeah. as soon as it starts not working for them, that piece gets smaller and smaller and smaller, but you keep, you keep doing the work. To Phil Spencer's point, Jeff, and that you mentioned, I think that is an incredible thought that Phil had and written out. I think it's worth talking about, but I think this moment at Epic shows the other perils of the business. Cause I think Epic was also trying to do other things. You know, they spun up Doing the Epic Game way. Store. Yeah. They spun up the metaverse, as Vic mentioned, and they were trying to find their other. Mm-hmm. And doing those others, the cost of being first or the cost of trying to iterate and, and do something your own way or create your own closed ecosystem is very expensive. And if those things fail, even Microsoft, you know, Phil put out this letter about what they're trying to do with Game Pass, but also in that leaked Microsoft documentation came out, they spent very little on xCloud over the last year because they didn't yeah. see it as a revenue driver for them. And so even to find that new thing is hard and expensive and likely won't work. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you know, it's a bummer. But and, and again, our heart goes out to folks that were affected by this. Uh, hate to see it. And it's certainly not the first this year, not the second this year, not the fifth or 12th this year. It seems like Every other week, we're getting news of of these massive layoffs. It's just a let me let me ask sad. you guys a question. I, I feel like games should be cheaper to make, cheaper to buy, and shorter. And I think all of those things would be good for the business. That's a big ask. That's a lot of people having to be on board with something like that. But I feel like if games were 40 bucks at retail and they were eight hours long, you know, and maybe there were the occasional 20 or 30 hour long RPGs or something like that. But we have really done a uh, well, I mean, live service, there is no ending. So when you get yeah. people in the door and their their whole game is to not spend any money and to play that every single day with their friends, they don't have any time to play anything else. So that sucks. It's like a totally different industry. And then if you sell a game like Red Dead Redemption 2, which is amazing, but it takes 100 hours to beat the campaign, guess what? You don't have any time to play anything else or spend or buy anything else out there. That's not uh, that's not good business, you know? I mean... It, well, that's the problem is every game wants to be your forever game. Every game wants yeah. to be your, uh, yes. your, your, your one and only. And... In it, at the same time, there are at the same time, <laughs> yeah, at the same <laughs> which time, which is the and, problem. And there's a there's a, you know a glut of these all happening at you know, concurrently. Yes. Like it's so yep. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I don't disagree, but I do think it's a, it's a battleship trying to make a right turn, right? It's like yeah. that. How do you even do that? Um, it's hard. Well, I think subscription is going to do that. You know, I think subscription is going to be the great. I mean, that's what Microsoft is doing. I think that Microsoft yeah. is is going to Netflix the hell out of gaming for better or for worse. But the business is going to change and live service is going to tank because nobody's going to want to play free things unless they're connecting socially. Uh, but that won't make the money because people will be invested in their 10 bucks a month or whatever on a subscription service where all the games are. And I think what will happen is games will become a lot like our favorite shows where they've got to connect with us emotionally to the point that we tell our friends, have you played this? You know, and right now we don't really right now. We, you know, amongst our group, we talk about it because we're all kind of inside baseball and we get it, but we don't talk about games the same way we talk about our favorite streaming shows or our favorite movies to anyone, you know, and that's where games need to go. And I think Microsoft is pushing for that. And I, you know, it still remains to be seen if they'll, they'll create the content that gets us to that. But once you get that, that's when you have people saying, you got to subscribe, you got to get this, you got to get Apple TV plus to watch silo. Have you seen silo? It's a cool show. Have you seen winning time? Too bad. Max is, the only screwed uh, up and they the only it. retort to that would be that all the streaming services aren't doing well Are, either. So I know, I and they're all going up. I, I know. don't know what the answer. Is. <laughs> well, uh, anyway, all right. I mean, there's, well, we, there's, there's too much in general. Too there's, much. Yeah. There's yeah. too much. This is like when, as, oh, we, oh, yeah, as we say, yeah. <laughs> too many. Too games. many. Well, when uh, we were kids, we would dream of moments like this. Now we got it, and I we're know. like, "What the hell, man? I know. We're uh, over entertained." Yeah, ridiculous. All right, Christian Spicer, what is your story of the week? Well, Vic mentioned it up top, and I, I want to spend some time on it. So I want to talk about uh, Jim Ryan stepping down at Sony. Yeah. And I mm-hmm. think as Vic was talking about, you know, what he sees coming to the industry, and Jeff, you and I have certainly spent a lot of time talking about where the industry is going and, and where it's come from, what it's going to be. Sony, under Jim Ryan, has famously said they are they are the company that makes these single player, beautiful expensive looking if not also expensive to make narrative games that people like me and it seems like so many others love so much and for a time also also Vic yeah I think all three of us and for a time Sony was the studio firmly planting that flag while others drifted from it and weren't as committed to it and Sony has been doing this since I mean, probably the PS2 era, you can look back on that, but that was carried by so many multi-plats. But the PS3 era, in my opinion, is really the start of this trajectory they have been on. And Jim Ryan has said after coming into the top brass place that that's where they're going to be. And that's what they want to be. And that's what gamers come to their platform for. And that their way of making games does not support this day one Game Pass model. You know, all of the PlayStation Plus subscription tiers aren't going to launch you won't be able to play spider-man 2 day and date on any playstation plus subscription tier microsoft says yes you will be able to play forza motorsport day and date on our subscription tier two different philosophies between what phil spencer sees for the industry and what jim ryan saw and now we're at this crossroad where jim ryan i mean bless the man he has been in the industry so very long and uh seems like has overseen massive hits and successes and everybody needs to ride off into the sunset at some time, hopefully where you still have time to enjoy, you know, things apart from your work. And and hopefully that's what Jim is doing. 
but he mentioned also just the travel schedule was a, a beast for him, constantly being jet lagged and waking up in a different country to do something else and to do something else. So he's retiring and stepping down. And I'm curious what that means for Sony as we are at this kind of, not even a crossroad per se, maybe a fork in the road as to what gaming is going to be and what Sony mm. might be as it looks for a path forward. Here we are mid mid console generation and what this next step forward will be. Um, I think it's a fascinating time to step away and good for Seinfeld, you know, to quit while they're on top. <laughs> you know, Jim Ryan is, is uh, doing the season finale uh, series finale while he's at the top. Christian with a reference that dates back to when Jim Ryan just took yes, the job. That's right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> birds, birds of a feather. Um, but you know, going out on, going out on top and not being this year's Yankees and not making the playoffs, right. You get out while the going's <laughs> good, but I'm fascinated, Vic, what you think, you know, as you were talking about where you see the industry going, do you think Sony, yeah. uh, Jim Ryan, less Sony will, change its approach and we'll start seeing different kinds of games for them or we'll see wolverine be day and date on playstation plus or something like that as things change i think the only thing that makes that happen is the you know explosive success of game pass which i wouldn't bet against i think that with the uh, the cavalcade of developer and uh, incredible talent that xbox has been buying let's underline that they haven't been investing in building new companies they've been buying them um but with all of that firepower, I think that the the explosive hit after explosive hit on Game Pass is going to be felt by Nintendo and Sony, and they're going to have to respond in some way. Um, Nintendo a little less so because they can do what they do, and people love it, including myself. But I I adore Sony. I I, I really. Uh, you know, I feel such fondness for Sony because I've had so many great games with PlayStation over the years, and mm-hmm. you know, my, my favorite trilogy was probably the uncharted or my second favorite you know it's always at the top the uncharted games i can't believe in the ps3 naughty dog gave us three uncharted and the last of us you know uh but i love the platforms because they were also the catalyst for tv show launching in a way you know when i went to uh, broadcasters in the mid 90s and showed them that sony was getting into this and that we were moving from 16-bit side-scrolling sprites to real-time 3D animation that was, you know, evocative of what Pixar was working on. It was really easy for people to see that. And I saw Sony just invest over and over again in these really radical ideas. And I love that they do that. I also really like Jim Ryan. I've never met him, but I like his candidness. I like that he said that nobody plays these old games. That's cool that he thinks that. I don't think that. I think if you tell people that this stuff is valuable and worth your time to go back into a, into our catalog, Nintendo's made a lot of money doing that. I think that if PlayStation did something similar, but I admire that Jim is blunt and honest, just like I admire Phil Spencer is kind of like that too, you know, in, in his correspondence and also with us when he's ever, whenever he's on stage. Uh, but Jim has really been looking at the Fortnite money and the Overwatch money, and they've invested a whole bunch in live service. I know that they've pulled back on some and there's been some closures and some changes at studios based on some of those decisions. Um, So I think Sony will stick to its guns doing what it's been doing, delivering on these, you know, massively, especially because now The Last of Us is a hit television show and Uncharted was a successful movie and the Twisted Metal TV show. Like they're really seeing the fruition as nintendo is starting to as well they're they're evolving into media entertainment conglomerates you know 
And Microsoft pulled back from all of that. Remember, they were going to start down that stuff. So I think it's going to be incumbent on Sony to make more content that's very narrative driven like this. But in terms of what happens now, I mean, if I was at Sony, I would want a forward facing dev friendly leader that has been in the business for a long time. And I nominate Ted Price. I've made a video mm. about it this week. Wow, yeah. I, think, I thought you were going to uh, say Cerny. I was going to be my guess of where, uh, you know, he's- uh, Mark's awesome. Mark's incredible. But I, I feel like um, Ted is, is uh, Mark is also a very blunt guy too, you know, and, and uh, very straight to the point about his viewpoints on things. Ted is um, like Phil, one of these guys that just gets along with everybody as respected by everybody. And Insomniac is the best run game company in, in the world. You know, people are happy there. They've made hit after hit after hit. They deliver on time. They work with different developers. They were independent the longest. And, uh, you know, I, I think Ted is uh, a remarkable leader, you know, and I've heard nothing but good things from people that I've known over the years about the culture at Insomniac. You guys may have heard something different, but I, uh, I have mad respect for Ted. So I would love to see if he's not the, the figurehead, I would love to see him rise within the ranks of Sony because I was surprised, honestly, not not surprised that it happened because it was an inevitability, but Ted had been really hesitant to sell the company. And he always was really proud of their independence. Started the studio in North Carolina and they're an incredible company uh, and the best purchase that Sony's ever made. And seriously, the, the Spider-Man experiences I think are probably the most important video games that the video game industry makes because of the, the cross pollination and the, the awareness and the spread and and the quality. So that's who I would vote for. I don't want Sony to change until they have to change. Um, But I think if Microsoft really pulls Game Pass ahead and it really starts taking off, then everybody's going to change. The business is going to change big time. Subscription is going to be a huge part of it. Uh, We should note that the interim uh, CEO is uh, Hiroki Toki, who is... uh, the uh, the COO of Sony Corporation, the president and COO of the Sony Corporation. There is a chance that Totoki will uh, remain, yeah, yeah, not just be interim CEO, but will actually become the you know the full CEO. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, in the interim, that is that is who has the the role. Uh, and uh, Totoki's um, statement in uh, you know receiving the uh, position in the interim is that he intends to maintain the course that Jim Ryan has set forth. So no, no big sweeping changes as of yet, but uh, I do think it is interesting. You know, this, this is an end of an era. And as you guys have noted, uh, whoever takes that role um, has big shoes to fill. Uh, you know, the PlayStation has been over the last two generations, a dominant leader in the market. And it's because of the moves they have made because of uh, Jim Ryan's leadership in a long, uh, large sense. So, I mean, if you read the Xbox leaks, Sony has been so dominant that Microsoft could buy every company and still not compete with them. You know, there's <laughs> no exactly possible. Right. Exactly right. <laughs> All they've yeah. been doing is kicking our butts forever. You can't compete with them. They are so good. Yeah. They are so good at what they do. And Jim Ryan's been a big part of that. Yeah. It's become harder for them to be good on uh, the cadence that they once had, though. And that speaks to the the cost of development and the size of these teams and the complexity of making everything. Um, and I don't know if that starts to, 
you know, you know, AI could factor into it and there's a whole bunch of other things that could make changes. But um, I think if subscription really starts to take off, I think we're going to see games become shorter, shorter and more impactful in a, a condensed amount of time so that people can play through it and say, holy shit, have you played that? You've got to play this. You I know? think that's similar to what happened with television, right? You used to yeah. have these, uh, these cra- crazy 30, 40 episode seasons, you know, mm-hmm. 25 to 30 episodes in a season on network yeah. TV. And it would be, you know, you'd see a season of ER that was just sprawling and out of control. And you're just like, what is even happening here? Yeah. How and do then, I latch on? Yeah. yeah. And in in the era of subscription services and prestige television, you know, we're getting eight episode seasons, 10 episode seasons, 12 episode seasons at the top limit. And yeah. it's the, the stories are better. The It's more focused. They're higher quality overall. I don't think that is a, you know, I don't think that is an inapt, uh, uh, comparison i think that 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 makes a lot of sense to layer onto the games industry as well and i think you make a lot of sense in bringing it up Vic. i think it's uh well i don't know how you change that that battleships course though um on episode 515 let me say i'm in favor of long multiple episode seasons jeff we have 515 more of these babies to go <laughs> uh, I, I mean with the way the news Our and the games is, have been dropping you know. we're sprawling and out of control though christian you have to uh, you have to admit where do that, you latch on where do you latch where on do you, there's no good jumping on point that's the problem uh, I, how, what happened in the previous 514 episodes who knows I should say, if you haven't listened to the at least the first 300, you are probably lost right now. You're like, Victor, yeah, right. yeah. he's yeah. back? It's been too long. I, I thought we wrote him out of this was I, was I in the twos? Was I in the twos? <laughs> probably, I think there was a helicopter crash on the top of... <laughs> yeah. uh, the helicopter crash. Everybody remembers it. All right. Um, <laughs> the, huge, huge stories this week. I mean, we... We had the official announcement of the MetaQuest 3. I, like a moron, have uh, pre-ordered one. Don't tell my wife. Um, yep. Like a moron. We <laughs> uh, ordered mean, another headset. <laughs> uh, more along the lines of, of our first story with Epic, we had uh, this uh, you know, Sega canceling a game that is, was in closed beta and everybody was saying was actually pretty good uh, with Hyenas. That was an interesting story that was That's discussed. another live service experience exactly yeah these casualties uh these were littered with these casualties of war here of these all mm-hmm. these live service games and to the point now where i'm sure you're like us vic where you see the announcement and you go how long yeah. until this game gets canceled you know like how I'm long i'm really until this worried game- about rocksteady's game there the the suicide squad game like you know well, that's at least a company- that has an ip that feels like yeah. it can you know but I don't know. Anyway, lots of really juicy, interesting stories. But I want to focus on uh, kind of the uh, inverse of the Jim Ryan story. We got a, a a retired a retired head of a studio. Well, not head of a studio, but you know, upper echelon type folk, uh, person who uh, is returning, coming out of retirement. Yeah. Uh, for one last go, right? I got to do one more rock. You got to do one more. <laughs> uh, it's Chris Metzen, uh, who seven years ago. Uh, at the at the ripe old age of 42, decided uh, he was retiring as the head of the creative team at uh, Blizzard and uh, World of Warcraft, and uh, said went on to do other things, launched a tabletop role playing company, uh, did a number of other things, but now is coming back. The uh, former senior VP of Story and Franchise Development at, at Blizzard, Chris Metzen, returning to the WoW team. Uh, and we'll be speaking on stage at BlizzCon this year, 
to discuss the next generation of adventures for World of Warcraft. I am a often lapsed, but always in my heart, WoW player. Uh, and Metzen is one of those iconic figures. Uh, mm. We don't have tons of them in the games industry. I, I right. would argue, and I, Vic, I know you agree, that we need more you know, faces of creators uh, that are known, that are household names in the community, or in the uh, industry. But Metzen was one of those. He really was the face of WoW. He was the yep. voice of, of some of the biggest characters. And uh, you know, his leaving, I think marked a real downturn for the game and for blizzard in general and now we see blizzard owned by microsoft it feels like there's some change there and here's metzen back and i wonder what you think this signifies if anything uh and what it could mean going forward for blizzard as a company and for world of warcraft as a product well you you said some profound things in there about the uh the, you know being able to attach a face and a name and a, and the credibility and a history with storytelling in this medium when I was coming up right it was all about trying to make content and put television together talking to people like Chris and tons of other people I, I met Bill Roper when he was doing voices for uh World of Warcraft three you know and i, I I love Blizzard as a company. I mean, they're so committed to their mythology and to the way that they craft their games. And I'm a big fan of Diablo 4. I'm not the because of time, because I have to move on from you know this week's episodes to next week's episodes, so I'm playing new stuff. Yeah. I, I, you know, I reviewed WoW and I reviewed the, some of the DLC as it came out, but I, I certainly can't stay with it. But I think it's incredibly important to put these people front and center when stories like this happen. And I think it's incredibly important that the video game industry, I know it's about team, you know, and when we get marketing videos about games, we always get a, a nice cross section of different team members and different faces and voices. And it truly is about that. But we also do need some name brand recognition. We need to know who these people are. And when we started with EP, that was the era where the, that infamous Game Gods cover for PC Gamer Magazine came out. I think Cliff Bozinski might have been on that thing and, and a bunch of other people. Um, and it was kind of looked down on and sneered at a little bit. And some of those people, I mean, Jade Raymond went through some hell too, getting all the notoriety that she had with uh, uh, her time at Ubisoft. Uh, but when you're trying to like convey that this is a medium filled with artists and auteurs and, and people that can author things, and kind of take a direction and guide us into things. It's so, it's that latch on thing again, right? We want people that are outside of the space to get it. And I think we need to humanize it a little bit. And what's happened over the last 15 years or so is that, and I'm not throwing shade at PR and marketing out there, but it's just so controlled. And there's just so much um, effort to kind of police the message and and just get to the heart of whatever's going to market a game every single time that a lot of that human connection has kind of been squeezed out. And, and also, you know, this has been the growth of social media and YouTube and Twitch, where there's just a lot of negativity out there. And there's a bit of trepidation and fear, I think, from game makers to like, say anything or post anything or be themselves because they're going to get demonized or whatever. So it's a bit of a slippery slope. So I think it's wonderful that we have now of Chris coming back. I'm actually, 
pals with his wife and she's been over the moon talking about how cool it is that he's going back and how proud she is of him. And that's great. I think it's great, man. I think we we need to know the people that make these games, especially now. (laughs) Yeah, it's so freaking important now, you know, like we're we're going to be we're going to be squaring off against a lot of AI created nonsense, you know, so it's really important to see who these humans are and to not just to celebrate them, but to inspire the next wave of people that want a little of attention. And uh, remember, remember Jonathan blow, like he came out and we're we're like, wow, this guy's did a game on his own. This is incredible. You know? And we need to see that story a little bit more. Instead, all we get is they paid this streamer a hundred million dollars for two years. (laughs) And, and, and we're supposed to celebrate that. I mean, I don't know. It seems crazy to me. Uh, Christian, um, Metzen has a unique opportunity here, and I, I wonder how, if he sees it, I, I suspect so, that, you know, to be really the savior swooping in uh, right. of, a, of a game and really a company that has never sort of faced uh, more of a negative feeling from its user base, from its fans. Uh, you know, they didn't even have a BlizzCon last year. The idea of... Um, him sort of retaking that stage and the, you know, the, um, the symbolism of him returning to the company, I think is as powerful as anything create creatively he'll bring to the table. Yeah. I do not know Mr. Metzen at all. Um, I have not interacted with him. Uh, he, I know that he was back at blizzard prior to this announcement. He had some like, um, consulting, consulting role yeah. or, or some other role. Um, I also know that he was very high up in the studio during years of horrible treatment of women. And a lot of the allegations that are plaguing Blizzard now were happening while he was at the top. And so my hope is that uh, the progress that has been made at ABK and particularly Blizzard socially that those don't go backwards. I, I hope that this isn't to bring in a beloved fan name um, and disregard some of the problems that were there under their leadership. Well, I, I don't know if, you know, Chris was there or part of the problem. And, and I have not read any accusations that directly link back to him, but I do believe that the buck has to stop with someone in leadership. If you're not aware, that's failing as a leader. And if you are aware and you don't do anything, that's also failing as a leader. And yeah. so my hope is that those societal changes at Blizzard, the company culture that hopefully has pushed through and changed, continues to change and be a positive place. And people that are still there that were there before don't see this as um, trauma and bringing back someone who enabled abuse before. Because I think point. ultimately yeah. that's what's going to affect the quality of the game, not how good BlizzCon's press conference is. But as Vic mentioned, it's all the people that make it. And I, I, I don't know. I'm, I don't know. He might be beloved and it, I, I'm not trying to I, I don't blame think him he for would any of that be, stuff. Yeah, but. I don't think he would be in this mix or get this kind of publicity if there was any stink of anything on there, you know? Um, Other than I, being I, there. I mean, it has to be a little bit of stink, in my opinion, because you were there at the top while bad <laughs> stuff was happening. Yeah. End of the day, that's some. That's in my, just my opinion. Yeah. That's somebody's fault. And I'm not saying it's an easy fix. It's corporate culture is hard to fix. But yeah, um, I'm also, you know, Jeff, you know this, and our listeners know this. I uh, 
<laughs> haven't been the biggest ABK fan here for the past uh, good bit. And I, I yeah. think a lot of their workplace yeah. problems are abhorrent. And I feel for the people that are there. Um, yep. Working under abuse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's going to be interesting because it's awkward. <laughs> are, you, are you happy with the Microsoft purchase? Do you feel like that will make some I positive hope so, change? But we'll see. I think Phil has said good things. I think they've proven in regard to supporting unionization under um, Microsoft owned studios. And yeah. so we'll see. And I, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. But I mean, I, I think for a lot of WoW fans, this is an exciting moment because creatively, it was some of the best years of um, of the game, and uh, I'm not saying that everybody needs to, you know, microscope into what the workplace was like for you necessarily to enjoy um, the art that was made and some of the incredible artists that were working there when some of that content was made. So I, I yeah, understand yes. the excitement. I mean, I I think um, you know this could certainly go two ways, right? This could be um, this could very well be Bob Iger, right? Where all the Disney fans saw Iger coming back is like oh, the guy who made all the wonderful things happen is coming back. Happy days are here again. Uh, and then Iger is like, Oh no, I'm terrible. <laughs> it's like, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I am certainly hopeful. I'm one of those people that, um, you know, like I said, wow is, is in my heart and it always will be. Uh, I have spent, it is like a, um, you know, it's like a second home <laughs> Azeroth to me because yeah. I've spent so many hours of my life in, in Azeroth. And uh, a lot of that is thanks to Metzen and, and uh, his influence. And so I, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that it does um, it, it represent a, a return to glory for the game, but I, there is definitely a, a possibility that it's just a game like we were just talking about in the previous segment it's <laughs> yeah. it's just a game that was built for a different time and yeah. it, there's there is no saving it at this point that that the industry has just i mean it's a game that's 15 years old it's not and still going and people are still paying 15 dollars every month to play it uh so the isn't idea it, it's free to play as well though, to a isn't certain it? level okay yeah, but gotcha. to play yeah. any you know significant part of it you have to yeah. pay money anyway it's going to be very interesting and i'm i'm certainly keen to see it. it is it is striking to me that he came out of retirement he didn't need the money you know yeah uh so <laughs> certainly he feels like he has some reason to do that and i think interesting that you bring up you know his wife's perspective and i think you know 42 years I, old you, you you retire you sit around the house long enough you're like i have all this creative juice still in me, you know, what do yeah. I do? And I think that, yeah. that might be a part of it as well. Um, all right. Well, we got this, like I said, tons of so many juicy, interesting stories, but let's talk about the games we have pl been playing in a segment we call the playlist. Vic, I know it, that, like us, uh, you have a number of games that you're not able to talk about yet uh, yep. that are on your playlist. Yep. <laughs> I can confirm receipt of a game and show you a title screen and yes. say that the time we'll be talking it about. Is a, <laughs> it's a brutal thing to have a weekly show where you get a game that's going to take multiple weeks to get through and you can't talk about it during those weeks. It's a very yes. hard thing. But what are, what are the games that are on your playlist that you uh, can share with us? Well, I, yes, I, I, I got Spider-Man 2, just like you guys. I can say that. I can say I'm playing it, and my review will be out there soon. And uh, also Assassin's Creed Mirage. 
Um, but uh, and Forza Motorsport, which I haven't even had a chance to start yet, but I'm excited about that. But what I was playing just before that and was streaming uh, was uh, Dave the Diver. I don't know if you guys have played this. Really love cool. this game. I love this game. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a wild trip where you're running a sushi restaurant, but you're also diving for the fish to feed everybody. And then you're caught in this weird mystery and you keep running into wacky characters. And uh, it's like a full on like you live the life of Dave, who is not the (laughs) typical hero type that you would see in a game. And they've done such a great job with it. It's uh, it's a great retro feeling game. And I have also played another diving game called Under the Waves which uh, Quantic Dream published. And it's uh, made by, I think, a French studio called Parallel. And uh, it's moody, it's trippy, it's much more uh, real-time action than the Quantic Dream type narrative adventure type stuff where you're swimming around, you get a little submarine. And uh, it's it's really cool. Like it really takes you into this world of this diver that's going through some emotional stuff, of course, but... Um, there's also some wacky, weird mystery and, and some stuff to figure out, but the mechanics of it are fun and it's, uh, it sucks you in. And when I was streaming it, everybody that was watching it was, uh, intrigued and very impressed by it. And, and of course it's one of these games that's just getting buried. Nobody's talking about yeah. it, but it's cool. I, I noticed the other- a number of, uh, trailers for under the waves as it was approaching release. And, um, yeah. it, 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 I was always surprised to see quantum dream at the end because it doesn't, you know, it doesn't look like a quantum dream game per se, but um, certainly very moody, very introspective is you mentioned the mechanics is, does it have sort of a compelling moment to moment or is it more of a, you know, it does, uh, but it's slow because you're underwater. So you have to kind of concede that and sort of, you know, reconcile with the game. Like, okay, you got me game. It's going to take me 10 (laughs) minutes to swim over there and get some algae so I can make some more oxygen so I can go into the caves but once you get into the loop of it, it's kind of fun, you know, and and uh, it, it's engrossing. But also the clock is ticking all the time now, especially if you're a reviewer of games. But mm. I think if any, I think everybody is just feeling saturated with choice. And uh, it's like it's what we've been talking about all show long. It's just how many things we have to be able to play and how do we get to these experiences quicker but the moodiness of it, it's got like this Vangelis musical score as well. It's very Blade Runner-esque and, and uh, it's got this uh, future retro kind of vibe to it, you know. Um, it's it's really cool. And then the thing that just blew me away and was just absolute candy to play was the DLC for Resident Evil 4, uh, Separate Ways, where you play as Ada Wong, who is freaking badass she's just so fun to play and she's got a grapple hook now and and uh it's gorgeous and you get these back to the future part two moments where you're seeing leon deal with a boss from a different vantage point and maybe you shoot into the corner of the screen and it affects something and then you remember when you played through the main story that something interrupted the the boss fight so there's this cool uh kind of perspective um, shift that's wild how how different is this than the OG version of this. I, I, I know. know I for- never played the OG. I never played the OG DLC. So this is my first time playing it, which uh, I'm loving. That's awesome. Yeah, this has been on my. I mean, it just came out, but on my pile of too many games. Shame. Where yep. I loved what they did. RE4. I feel like is one of the. I mean, it's one of the best games of the year, and one of for the sure. better remakes of maybe all time in terms yep. of staying true to the original but also updating the system so smartly and 
I don't even want to say rounding the edges because I think that has a negative connotation, but true honing in on the theme of the experience mm-hmm. and highlighting that while getting rid of some of the speed bumps that didn't help bring that theme forward, the the feeling you were supposed to get. And for what I've seen of separate ways is it looks like it did that, but this is even a tighter, I mean, it's a DLC self standalone, but you need the game, but like a standalone narrative, but it looks like it really condensed all that stuff in a really yeah. smart way. Yeah. And it looks, it looks real. Have you finished it? Was it like six hours, eight hours? Is it that I, I, experience? Uh, I I'm about four hours in, so I'm very close okay. to the end of it. Yeah. Okay. And it, it's so tight and it's so hooky and fun and, and just a, it's just a blast, man. Like, and, and you know what? I, when I was streaming it, this is the way I can't review everything now, like the full play it all the way through and go back and review because it's too much. So I stream a lot and I play it with people so that they can get a chance to see the game as well as chat with me a little bit. It's, it's a lot of fun to do it that way. Um, but that's what's allowing me to bounce to all of this mm. software as it's coming in. And that was so much fun to stream and to play. And I think that's everybody awesome. was super impressed. Something came up when we streamed, though, is that this Resident Evil 4 as a remake is so good that it kind of is the definitive way to play it now. You know, it kind of pushes the original. Like, I don't think I'll ever want to play the original again. You know, this is the this is now Resident Evil 4, mm. which wow. is kind yeah. of problematic because yeah. that was a <laughs> 10 out of thick. But this is uh, oh, I'm having a couple of little glitchy things there. But this was just wonderful. Yeah, that's awesome. Man. Yeah, incredible. Uh yeah, it, there's a number of those remakes now. I feel like uh, you know, the um the uh Shadow of the Colossus remake, the the uh Dead Space remake, all, oh, yeah. you know, they're all that's the version that I would want to play now, you know. Yeah, Metroid um, Prime remastered, which is yeah, yeah remaster, but god, that was so great. Yeah. Yeah. Very very cool. Christian, are you you're going to play separate ways? Uh, I mean, I I want to. I any other year, I would be like, yes, I will, and I know when I'll play it. And now I'm like, you know, I think it was the Game Awards Threads account. You know, I, I saw it from a few places, but that's where I saw it first. It was like, happy October, and it was just like the list of games. That, <laughs> and I think you mentioned Assassin's Creed Mirage, which is like, for all intents and purposes, tomorrow. Forza Motorsport, you know, I've done those deep dives, tech analysis of, of that and how big that game is. That's also tomorrow for all intents. It's just... Yep. Yeah. We got a, so a new Jeff, Mario. Gonna, uh, we got a. Yeah. We got Spider Man. We got, you know it's it's so many games coming out in October, uh, including uh, one that you Christian got early hands on with, and you're finally able to talk about Alan Wake Two. I've been so excited uh, for this episode, friends, um, since I got hands on with Alan Wake Two in Los Angeles. Um, I think I talked about it when I talked about my hands-on with Spider-Man 2, dear Sony, right now I'm only talking about my hands-on with Spider-Man 2. That's all I'm talking about. <laughs> On that show, I think I talked about coming away from it being like, well, there's already too many games, but I just played another all-time great. This is going to be a definite game of the year contender just from what I saw these three to four hours with Spider-Man 2. This game's going to be incredible. I'm so excited. And then I think it was, I don't I forget if it was literal or just the emotional next day. I played Alan Wake 2, and now talking about it to you all, guys, <laughs> I, I know it's a wild year. There's already been too many games. And we named four remasters that any year would be the best game of the year. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> of the year is what we need to add to the end of that. Uh, <laughs> Too many of the best games of all time. <laughs> Alan Wake 2 is uh, is real good, y'all. It's, uh, it's real good. So aside from just heaping praise on it, I will also explain the game a little bit. I uh, played about four hours of Alan Wake 2. I was playing on a PC build with the PlayStation 5 controller. I think they also had some console builds up, but I did not play a console build i got to play as saga the new protagonist and also as alan and this game takes place almost lockstep real time from how long it's been since alan wake alan wake very broad alan wake one maybe a new nightmare alan wake universe spoilers that i'm about to say alan wake's been trapped in the dark place alan wake has the events of Alan, this is a sequel. These things have happened and it's been 13 years, which I think is awesome. I, I don't think that stories need to do that. I don't think they need to represent the real time change it's been between games. Like, I, I don't think, you know, The Last of Us three or whenever it comes out needs to reflect how many years it took to make. I I don't think stories need that, but I think it's very cool that Alan Wake is doing that. And they're also bringing back the talent from Alan Wake. It is same actor, same mocap, same voice. It's like those same folks have all kind of like how, you know, some of the Disney shows have done this, right? They bring back the actor and it's the same amount of time that's passed and all of that stuff happened. And so Alan Wake 2 is taking place all these years forward. And since then, we've had Control and Remedy has talked about their Remedy universe and how everything is connected. And just in playing this hands-on, you started to see how this world is connected to Control. And Control, one of my favorite games of all time. It's an amazing game. It's so good. And the Alan Wake DLC I thought was really incredible and really smart. And so you're seeing pieces of that reaching into this world, which I think is done in a very, from what they've shown and what I've seen, a very smart and, and very, you know, not like wink and nod, not like how South Park made fun of the family guy, where it was like, you just reference things and that's supposed to make us clap. Like that's not enough. It's like, oh no, there is a world here and it's all connected. And, you know, we mentioned auteurs before, I think, and people like, you know, Ted Price or Neil Druckmann or Corey Barlog, I think, Sam Lake is one of those people oh, yeah. and what he's been yep. doing at Remedy. Um, mm-hmm. Literally the face of games you've played. Um, <laughs> that's <laughs> Max Payne's face for so long. Um, and Alan Wake 2 is telling this moody, dark, interesting story that while not mechanically the same as Eternal Darkness, it reminds me a lot of Eternal Darkness in terms oh, of that's great. keeping me the player on my toes and confused but in a good way where i feel like as saga investigating this thing she can't know what to believe or what's real she hears these fantastical rumors about what's happening in the town and what's going on and it's all a little trippy or when you're alan and you're in the dark place and you're investigating and the reality shifts in front of you because you've rewritten the scene because the book you wrote came to life and you're trying to figure all of this out, I feel like your avatar on screen is, you know, through the looking glass and you as the player are also experiencing that with them. And so the notes I kept writing down was like, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing right now. 
but I freaking love it. Like, I, <laughs> I don't think I'm supposed to know what I'm doing right now. Well, so what does that mean exactly? Like, so I'll be vague because um, I don't want to spoil the sequence. So I was playing as Alan and you're investigating this murder that happened to try to figure out clues about what's happening between getting you out of the dark place and getting back into the real world as things that you're writing have meshed across the two and your stories are coming true. And so in investigating it, you'll go to a place and see what happened there in one version, but then you've picked up clues about something, a different version of events happening in that same space. And you remember like, oh, this isn't where it happened. Before they got here, they actually all met in the lobby and then they came here. But what if they met here instead? That's a great story. And you kind of create this world and it changes what you just saw and what happened. And you're like, wait, was the person in room 106 or one six zero. Wait, that's the what the narrative is doing, or that's what that's, you, the player, are doing. That's what the narrative is doing while you, the player, are doing it. So you'll okay. walk to one oh six, open it, fall through a door because, and it's like things that video games would normally tell you is wrong. Like it's not, it's not right. I can't be here. This isn't what I'm supposed to do. And then the game will say, "Well, you can't be here because this isn't right." And that's like that. That's exactly what I just said. What am I supposed to do? And then it's like, oh well, I can change it. I can fundamentally change that what i'm seeing and what i'm playing by reanalyzing a saga kind of analyzing the clues or as alan going back into your writer's room and writing it in a way that actually makes sense or it actually brings it together i don't think i understand what you're saying i so (laughs) that's how i felt (laughs) so but you're you're discovering this process that is linear or you as the player are making decisions that then reorder things dynamically in the game world great questions um and i should say i'm dropped i was dropped in you know three or four hours into the game which i think for a game like spider-man 2 is very easy to be dropped four hours into a game and you know what you're doing to be dropped that far into alan wake 2 i did wish i had some of that tutorializing and i wish i knew some of the mechanics because it is a, a complex game i don't think this is what well, it's not it's not open world i think our experiences will all be largely the same we might solve puzzles in a slightly different order but this changing of worlds it's not oh i figured out this thing and jeff and vic you all aren't going to do that you're going to do it this other way to me it seems more akin mechanically different but i think in this way it's similar to portal where there's one way to solve it but when you see it come together you're like oh i bet they didn't think that i could do this and so on alan wake 2 there are moments where you're trying to find, you know, in this moment as Alan, try to find this killer. And you're walking around this, um, I think it was a hotel or an apartment building. And you go to where the game, via you or your narration or your clues that you found out, found, tell you to go. But when you get there, it's wrong. And I think so often in games like uh, Old God of War, right? You go and you turn left and it's a dead end. You're like, well, this clearly isn't the way I'm supposed to go. So I'm going to turn right and then you turn right and you fight Medusa and you fight, and that's the way you're supposed to go. And then Alan Wake, again, from what I played, those wrong turns weren't wrong. It just required you to either go find something else that would then open that back up or go into your writer's room, which you can jump back into. It's like in your head and look at the story you've written. So you have this, 
you know, murder board out and you have pieces of scenes that then you can reorder that will change them. So you're looking at the, the ballroom and it's like, this is where they met. That makes sense. They'd come into the ballroom to all meet before they go on their killing spree. So you put like they met in the ballroom and then the ballroom transforms in front of you to be, again, I'm generalizing here, but like the chairs were all in a circle because that's where they met. And you walk around and you look and it's like, well, no, there's nothing here. Well, this couldn't have been where they met. Well, then where did they meet? And so I'm like, I don't know. Where did they meet? I have no clue where they met. And so you kind of explore the space again, I think in an intentional way to make you feel uneasy. And you find out that like, oh, well, their coats are all here. So clearly they met here first. Okay. So if they met here, you go back into your writer's room and you say they met in the lobby. Wait, wait. So then- I'm sorry. I just want to be under, I, I'm kind of hard time grokking this. When you keep <laughs> saying, oh, 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 when you're, you're describing an inner monologue, is it an inner monologue in Max Payne's head or Alan you, Wakes. the player's head? Alan. Or Alan, Alan excuse me, not Max yeah. Payne. Sorry, Alan's like, it's in, it's you know in Alan. The, Yes. It's, it, is it being spoken by the voice actor in the game yes. or is it, or you, is it Sam Lake's head? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is. So, the, it's, so you are being stepped Lake's through this <laughs> process of the, the, the character in narrative game world yes. telling you, Oh, that's not right. You're not, I, cause I'm having a hard time understanding what you're saying is you Christian thinking or the Got character it. thinking. So oftentimes in my playthrough, they were happening at the same time. You know, I was having the me playing aha right. moment of of this. There's nothing to do here. This isn't right. And then Alan would come in and say, well, there's no way that this could be right. But not every time. Sometimes it would require me to just go back into my space or explore this, go back into the writer's room and try reordering scenes or to explore. It's not the real world because you're in the dark place, but like explore the real world more to find out things that are next. But Alan, much like the first game and even in Control, you know, there is a, an internal dialogue. The character is talking yeah. and explaining this what they see. This sounds a lot more like Control to me than the first Alan Wake. It and and Control, I feel like, was the most sophisticated game play that Remedy had made up to that point. They'd taken all their great narrative lessons and and their trippy storytelling, but they'd really honed in on uh, just beautiful game design. And I feel like Alan Wake Two is. Uh, more like control almost than it is. I don't know though. I've only seen the demos, and I was at Summer Game Fest. Um, I didn't. Pl- I didn't get any hands on, but I feel like it's more like control than it is the the first Alan Wake. I, I think. I think Alan Wake Two, if it pulls off what it's trying to pull off, and for what I saw from four hours of or what I played in these four hours, is the is the the tip of of remedies genius it is all of the things coming together because it's definitely not as action heavy as control it is an over-the-shoulder claustrophobic resident evil 4 style camera that you're exploring this space but not even as much combat again in the part that i played as much combat as what resident evil 4 has and after our playthrough we had a you know dev interviews and, and sam lake talked about that he's like one of the critiques we saw with the first alan wake and looking back on it all these years later is that while the combat was cool flashlight gun and you still do that in this game there was too much of it and it didn't change it didn't evolve as a player and i think he called out god of war as like that whole game is incredible and you're getting new skills and new tools to use and alan wake we didn't do that so we wanted to find ways to make the combat feel engaging and fun but know that there's other ways that we can design a game that's not relying on you doing that for 
30 hours or whatever it was. So they've, right. they've kind of right. pulled some of that back and you, it's more exploration and not even puzzle solving. So it's, it's light control in terms of Jesse, you know, talking and figuring things out. Um, you know, there are moments in control where Vic, have, did you, did you finish control? Yeah, I did. And and I've also gone back to play it a bunch of times, but like from the middle of a game, because I played it on, mm-hmm. uh, I don't even remember what I what system I beat it on, but I beat it on one system, but I didn't beat it on PC. And of course, I tested out on the Steam Deck or I tested it on a PCs yeah. that I review because it's such a gorgeous game and it's a power hog on PC as well. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what the hell I'm doing every time I load it up. Like I'm like, <laughs> I have a save game, but it's like, wow, this is confusing. There's so many complex systems and the story is so weird. So I, I totally feel your pain being dropped four hours <laughs> down too. I and know so, exactly so what you're saying right there. Not to spoil the uh, the things, I think it's one of the best moments in gaming, but I will say a name of a mission in Control that I think for folks who have played Control will maybe understand how I'm perhaps doing a poor job explaining the mind scrambling that Alan Wake 2 is, I think, intentionally. In Control, mm. there's a mission called the Ashtray Maze. And mm. as Jesse finds her way into it, you, you feel like you're stumbling, but you're oh, yeah. not. The game is very much guiding you into this experience, but it is so unlike anything else you've played as things are changing and, and shifting around you. And Jesse's confused as the character. And I think she is verbalizing what I was feeling, unlike Aloy and Horizon. Love those games. Aloy yep. is rarely saying what I'm feeling. Aloy is often right. just being like, well, sure is pretty down here. And I'm like, yeah, I get that, but that's not what I'm experiencing. And I think Jesse and control was often monologuing what I was feeling. And I think more so Alan mm. and saga and Alan wake two mm. are doing that. So Jeff, maybe that was part of it where it's like, we were both feeling that way, but then Alan would kind of prompt you to, well, this can't be right. I got to go back and investigate. What if I change this scene? And then, so you go in Go ahead. That's so meta. It's amazing. It and, and it's a little Kojima like, you know. It's it's like this. You they there's an awareness that this is gameplay, and we're going to write to that. Sam's a bloody genius. He's so cool. And so but I don't. What I was know. reminded of was oh, yeah. Immortality, the game Immortality, but maybe yeah. I'm way off. Um, yeah. Is it, it, it? Does it play like a puzzle? Because you just said it's not a puzzle, which then really threw me for a loop. I mean, it's a third person game that there are puzzles in it. It's, it's not, um, but like the, the reconstruction the of that stuff isn't a, a puzzle. It's more like experiencing just a story, you know, flow. You do have to get it right, but you're not sitting there again. I don't know. I wrote up my feelings too on my blog, which you can find at christianspicer.com. That went live right when the embargo broke. And I wrote up like, if they can pull off what it looks like they're trying to pull off, I think this could be an all time great. If not, I how think is the video classic. stuff? How's the, the live action oh, stuff? Oh, NVIDIA. Yeah. yeah, the video stuff is great. The DLS NVIDIA stuff wasn't in the build that I played. Um, okay. But let me try to answer this question, Jeff. Um, it is a puzzle in the sense that you have to get the right pieces of the story in the right places to progress. Mm. But it doesn't feel like, like that moment isn't what I would call a puzzle because the game also has straight up puzzles in it you know Mm. like that are other games would do as a mini game but the constructing the scene or figuring out the pieces it's like yes it's a puzzle but you're kind of being guided through it and so it's kind Mm. of trippy to then see it reflect on screen as you lay it out 
in front of you. Again, I think internal eternal darkness did some of that as well, where you'd come out right. of it and be like, that's not what happened. That can't be what happened. And you, the player are thinking that, and then the game would cut to a save corrupted screen and you're yeah. freaking out and then you come back into it. Um, <laughs> last little bit on Alan Wake, as I hopefully didn't uh, confuse too many people, but the puzzles, this is why I wanted to be clear about the puzzles, the puzzles themselves, again, if they can pull it off throughout the course of the game, I think are brilliant because so much of this game seems to be trusting the player. So often, I feel like in games, you come across a safe in a room and it's like, huh, I don't know the code for the safe. Well, it I bet must someone be on wrote a wall it. right yeah. behind so me. You, yeah. <laughs> you turn around and you look and it's like on the wall, it's like, uh, Vic, I changed the safe code. Now it's 24, <laughs> yeah. 24, 17. Don't tell anyone. Erase this one. <laughs> right. You know, you've read it. It's not erasing. Yeah. You do it. And what I played in Alan Wake 2, it would be like, here's the safe. Well, there's probably a code somewhere in the room. And then you find a piece of paper that's like, the code's not here, you idiot. Why would I leave the code? Mm. You know what the code is anyway. Don't mm. pretend you didn't know. And then there's like a paragraph about how they went to a pizza place together last weekend. And you're like, wait, what? There's no, where's the, and then you explore the space more. And there's like, you find a pizza box. And then on that pizza box, there's, this isn't the exact example. There's like a tic-tac-toe board. And you're like, Oh, I see. It's the tic-tac-toe. I go enter that. No, there's like four little steps you jump through because you have to actually solve the puzzle to solve the code, which again, I think if it works and it's on that knife's edge of cool before frustrating, it's brilliant. But if it doesn't work, (laughs) you know, it's very frustrating because you're like, just tell me the stinking code. And I feel like a lot of the game is trying to walk that line. Um Hmm. Yeah, I apologize I if I've done a poor job explaining. But well, I don't mean this as a not head you, but I feel like I, I have less of an understanding of what to expect from this game than <laughs> well, I did. Did you play? Did you play Alan Wake One? <laughs> I yeah. did, but Alan yeah. Wake One's a basically a shooter. It's been a, yeah, it's an action game, pretty yeah. much, right? An a- action horror game. Yeah, I loved Alan yeah. Wake One, but yeah, I mean, I, I, what I wanted out of that game, you know, when they announced it, I was like, oh my gosh, somebody is making a Stephen King novel as a video game oh my gosh and then what we got was a really cool but pretty straightforward action adventure game and i was like oh yeah. well, wh- where was all that cool like solve the mystery stuff so it sounds like they've really come back to that which is awesome and yeah. i'm intrigued by it but i'm also i have been in the ramp up to alan wake 2 i just my personal taste is that i've been a little turned off by how survival horror-y it has seemed to be or that they're using that descriptor and yeah. i'm i'm not a person that like rushes out to play the next huge survival horror game it's just not what i enjoy personally um so i, I have been a little bit bummed because i wanted it to be cool and e- eerie and spooky but not you know survival horror oh my god there's something running after me i'm i only have two bullets i that is not a tension that i seek out when i play so right how much of that is is in what you've played, Christian? From what I've played, I would call it a psychological thriller and not mm. survival horror. That's cool. Um, cool. Is it possible for me to dump all my shotgun ammo into a wall and then not have any? Sure. But I didn't do that because why would I right. shoot it into a, into a wall? And I wasn't doing like their RE resource management before going into a fight or anything like that. It felt mm. trippy and tense and disturbing in a way of something clearly creepy and evil is going on. The saga stuff in the real world is, you know, these occult killings that are happening and it's, it's like true detective more so than, than Mm. resident evil. And I think it's nailing Mm. those vibes. And as the gameplay, it's a, you know, a third person action game, but with all the stuff 
that hopefully our listeners can can grok the idea of like the ashtray maze or some of the trippier moments of control uh, well, where it I think purposefully any, dumps you on your head. People should be excited, you know, a, a post confidence of you know the success of control like a, a a team that made control is working on their next game that should be enough you know whether it's a sequel or not that should be enough like what those guys achieved with control was so groundbreaking and so seminal that that was their best game and i'm hoping that this now is their best game yeah, it's and wild. It's going like, to have DLSS 3.5. Uh, well, I'm cool. in, you know, I'm in for that, Christian. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's wild to me that like after Quantum Break, I felt like Quantum Break was like the low point for Remedy, and after that, yep. they were just like bangers. You know, it's just like you know, going yeah. going for it. And you know, obviously, there's not that many games after that, but it feels like uh, you know, um, they learned a lot of lessons from Quantum Break and it, and didn't repeat any of the missteps. <laughs> it really uh, bounced back. Man, I, I I want these guys to make a Doctor Strange game. I want Remedy to, to have the cool. Doctor Strange license and make you know an Insomniac yeah. quality Doctor Strange experience. That would be. Well, it sounds like they're only interested in, in playing in their own sandbox. You know, like the Control Two is coming uh, after after Mac uh, after. Uh, I, I'm Alan cool Mac with too. that. I'm cool with that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I I love it. I, I like I said, I, I think it's either going to be an all time fave and at worst a cult hit, and it, it's going to require a bunch of things to come together because there's also a mechanic of Alan has the clicker and you can suck light from one air, area and use it to bring light to another, and that changes wow. the scene. Um, a la, I'm trying to think, is that Ratchet and Clank where you can hot swap the area with each other, and so that mm-hmm, solve you can solve puzzles in addition to the combat and. Um, I, I cannot wait to play more. And I was blown away, blown away by what I played, but also left with more questions and wanting. You and me and both. Some games, you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> some games you play the demo and you're and like, me. I know exactly what it's going to be. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, did you also do the rebirth uh, trial that week as well? I, I did not. I did not. Yeah, because I saw a, a lot of week. LA peeps. Yeah, we're yeah. off at all three of those things in one week. That's a lot. I can't even think about 2024 games right now, guys. It's, I got to be know, honest. I just like I don't care I don't that know. there's more games coming out next year. I can't, right now I just want to get over what we got in front it's of us. So, you know? I mean, there's so many games that I have I want to spend way more time with and then the next thing is hitting me. I feel like I'm drinking <laughs> yeah. from the fire hose. It's it's you know, I, I know. Um, you know, it's a, it's an absurd situation to complain about, but you like it's hard to Anyway, uh, Christian, you also finished Phantom Liberty, which I think you have as well, Vic. Yeah, yeah. I know you yeah. were very high on Stunning it. Stunning game. Yeah, stunning. Um, I won't spend a lot of time on it because I, I, I feel like I'm still swimming in Alan Wake too. Um, Cyberpunk 2077 Phantom Liberty is one of the best gaming experiences I've had in a very long time. It mm-hmm. pulls off the story. It leads back into the main game in a really interesting way. If you want it to. And I'd love to do a spoiler chat. Maybe, I don't know, with we'll Vic, I don't know. We can find some way to do because I think there's a lot of juicy stuff to dive into in it. And it is a big time, a DLSS 3.5 tour de force and just a, an incredible turnaround for that game and that franchise. I never would have said, guessed three years ago, that Cyberpunk 2077 would be one of my favorite games. Um, but here we well, it's are. It's amazing between. About- 25 hours to to roll credits on the expansion. Yeah, it's wow. a, it's a full game too. That's the crazy it's, thing about Phantom Liberty. It's like a full Phantom, game. That's a Phantom Menace, Phantom Liberty, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you see the creator? 
this week as well as playing. I have not that? yet. I have. Okay, well, that's a freaking surreal thing to do, right? Yeah, and, and <laughs> to see the AI fight that's happening with all the uh, uh, all the strikes and everything, it, like it just feels so surreal. To you know, that's what my head has been on. But that, yeah, Phantom Liberty was ridiculously beautiful. It's ruined the facial animations that I'm seeing in games. Now I'm looking at other games, I'm like this doesn't look as good as <laughs> as that you know and it's yeah. crazy we're talking about the finnish studio with with remedy the polish studio with uh cd project red and and um cyberpunk and baldur's gate i don't even know where baldur's gate but eastern europe and yeah. uh, that kind of area has just been crushing it in 2023 just incredible i mean yeah an abundance of riches um I have a game to talk about, and uh, guess what, guys? We need to make a little room at the table for another worthy contender for Game of the Year. <laughs> no, no, I'm full. No. I'm full. No pie. No, no pie. Push it away. <laughs> I'm telling you, I know this one. Uh, uh, this one is 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 uh, unlikely, maybe not on many people's radars, and it it's certainly uh, you know have a hard time comparing it to these massive you know hundred hour experiences like tears of the kingdom and Baldur's gate and starfield and all the others uh but you know this falls squarely into what you were advocating for earlier vic with uh, a game that's short a game that's focused a game that's cheap uh this is 20 bucks on steam it's also on game pass this is a game called cocoon it's on it's, game pass good it game. is on game pass yes that's great yeah uh, and it is a uh, th- the newest game from a new developer that it, it was born from some of the folks from play dead uh, in, okay. in particular, I think two of the uh, designers that worked on uh, Limbo, which is one of my favorite Unreal. games uh, yeah. of all time. Uh, Unforgettable this, game, Limbo. Oh, yes. I yeah. think this game, Cocoon, is also in that echelon. Is It, it wow. is an unforgettable one for me. Ugh. Yes. <laughs> I've downloaded it. I haven't even looked at it's it because so of all the other stuff. Good. Yes. It's so good. Can you explain this to me? I did play it at me? Summer Game Fest, though, and it was profound it was beautiful in the sea of really cool games that we get to demo that's the one that i'm like wow that was really freaking cool it has so much identity so much personality oh you don't get it okay it is play this writer and there's this mystery <laughs> yeah, okay. that you have uh-huh. to okay you're okay. doing puzzles that aren't puzzles no um, hey, when you play alan wake 2 everybody when you play alan wake 2 go back and listen to this episode and be like damn i, I believe I could you have i'm not trying to better shade. than christian could have. i'm not trying to throw shade i was just trying to find no, no. my way through it you know same same <laughs> all right cocoon cocoon this is a must play if you have game pass i know we have uh like i said an abundance of riches this there's going to be games that Elbow out this one, but it is worth your time. This is not a long game. You can probably do it in a couple of sittings, three maybe. Um, And it is very much worth your time. It it harkens back to one of my favorite underappreciated games in the last 10 years, which is a game called Hob, which I Mm. loved and was such a bomb that the studio that made it was disbanded. But Uh. Hob is a brilliant, wonderful game. And this reminded me of it, I think, Cocoon is even better than Hob in what it accomplishes. But basically the idea of of, uh, Cocoon is it is a top-down, isometric puzzle game with boss fights. That's the top-level thing. You don't have any real combat in the game until a boss fight, and then the boss fight is very clever. And this game is played entirely with a single button. You push one button the entire time, and you move your little character around, and it accomplishes this amazing level of 
immersion and, and uh, interactivity with just those very sparse elements. The other thing that it does so amazing is it communicates its vocabulary to the player so effortlessly, like it, these very complicated Systems, Geometric, these, esoteric, yeah, the, images. So you're in this yeah. sort of like insectoid world, but it's also kind of robotic. So you're in this kind of, you know, if everything has tentacles and kind of, you know, spindly bits and and right. a lot of detail in the world, but it's also kind of like cybernetic and very, very cool aesthetic. I mean, so awesome. And I Great love music how, and, and sound too, right? Like yes. that all envelops you when you're playing the game. And, yeah. and anything you do that affects the world is so satisfying. Stuff like unfolds and bends and 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 moves and and peels back. And like anytime you get to do a thing or move to a new place, the way that happens is very pleasurable to me. I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you like get like a thing. Origami. Yeah, origami or like, or like, you know, you'll get a thing and then it'll break apart and little bits land everywhere, but then there's a kernel of something awesome and you pick that up or, yeah. um, and the, the sort of whiz bang mind bending mechanic of it all is that there are these spheres that you as this little winged moth looking character pick up and move from place to place. And like many games that we've all played, the sphere when placed in the right spot will affect the world. You place it on a little node and it'll maybe open up a door or it'll cause a bridge to materialize that lets you move to the next place. So you're moving these orbs and placing them on nodes and figuring out how to get them from place to place. Your little character can sometimes fit through crevices, but the orb is too big if you're carrying it. So you can get there, but you got to figure out how to move the orb around. Stuff we've done over and over. Yeah. The trick here is that the orbs are also levels, little worlds. Right. You're literally right. carrying around a little world, a little game level that your character can pick up and move from place to place. And on certain nodes that you place them on, you're able to leap into that sphere and go into that level. And the way that is articulated in the game, the way it's visualized is so rad. You like your guy like goes and gets sucked into that world and that world like envelops the screen. So slick, so cool, so satisfying, like everything in Cocoon. So that we should have we should have smoked up before we did this. <laughs> you didn't? <laughs> no. Did you not hear me describing <laughs> Alan Wake Two? Like, well, oh, we are perfect. That's how we let's go we record this podcast. Anyway, um, so so uh, so you have these little levels that you're carrying around. So the the fact that you can jump in and jump out of them. This, creates these sort of layers of reality. You're leaping into this sphere. Well, then inside that sphere, you can find another sphere. So you could leap into that, or right. you could pull that out one layer and leap out of the sphere you're in, bringing the sphere that you discovered in there out with you. So you can like switch the stack of layers and move things around. So the game gets really smart and, and starts creating these puzzles where, oh, I can't get from here to there. Mm. I can't get my sphere from here to there. But if I literally pack the entire world of that sphere inside another sphere, I can move that one. And so you start thinking about these layers and like, oh, if I back out and move to another node with that world in it, 
when I go back into that world, it'll be in a different place. Again, let, let me try trippy. to put th- like like a Hollywood mogul. Let me try to put three different ideas that may add up to something like this because this sounds like nothing else ever <laughs> has ever has ever ever been close to this. But I I think like it's a merge of Xevious and Zelda and Monument Valley. If you okay. squished all of those kinds of concepts into a game, yeah. you got a little bit of what this feels like. Well, there was a game whose exact title uh, escapes me, but I think it came out last year called like the box game or the game of boxes or something we talked about on the show where like you move a box, but you can go inside the box as well. And so that's you move so a- cool. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So it reminded me of that too. But um, the thing <clears throat> that's so magical about cocoon is that that concept is esoteric and, and weird and kind of hard to wrap your brain around. But in the context of the game, it is effortlessly communicated, right, effortlessly. Right. Like you Which immediately, is what Limbo did. yes, exactly. You immediately right. we'll, grok the vocabulary of this game. Yeah. It's verbs. Yes. Like you understand yeah. it's verbs. And again, you play it with a single button and, and, and the, and the, the puzzles are so devious and you'll walk into this room and you'll be like, Oh, there's so many things in here. <laughs> what do I even do? But then oh you just, you just How start. How long did it take you to finish? I don't know, five hours? It's not a long game. This is not oh, a long wow. game. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. Okay, all right. Um, that sounds maybe like six? A, I, I don't have, know. I have to stream that one for sure. This is, it, it is exquisite. I think aesthetically, it's one of my favorite like art direction uh, accomplishments in a game. Like the, the art direction of Cocoon is in my pantheon of all time. Like it is- Wow. I love ev- the way every little thing moves. The, the boss fights are awesome. And the cool thing about the boss fights is you never die in this game. You fight yeah. you're, when you're fighting a boss and it, it gets you, it just kicks you out one oh, level. Right back to the other world. It just yes. kicks you Jeff, up a you level. Definitely reach out to the developers and tell them this, you know, because this game's going to get buried too. Like, this is it's another such game. A shame. That- this is a gem of a game. It is a yeah. beautiful diamond of a game. And yep. it is like, it's like a masterclass in game design, the way it, the way it communicates what you need to do and how you interact with it. It's yep. utterly gorgeous. And I am so over the moon with Cocoon. And, and you start like, it's, it, it layers its complexity on and, you know, the, the, the ways that you can start thinking about it I, were never really overwhelming. I got to the point where I'm like, oh my God, what am I even doing here? But it never, like, as soon as I started stepping through it, it's like, oh, no, this completely makes sense. Oh, that's great, man. It, yeah. Why, and it's, yeah. Go ahead, Christian. Why, why do you bring a level, I think you talked about it a little bit, like, oh, to clear a path. What I don't quite understand is why, there, I'm assuming there, it's kind of like Portal. There's one, you're like, there is a solution. You're trying to get to an end, I'm guessing. But, like, why do you bring a level into a level? Because isn't that just like a little pearl that you're carrying? Or is that? Yeah, the, they're... You kind yeah, of the little pearl from the level that, now in the level. The little pearl is also a key to open a door in the world. Like you have to place the sphere mm, like you would, uh-huh. like you're playing Zelda and you found a, you know, a, a magic rock and you have to place it on a pedestal to open the door. That's how the spheres work. So you're trying to get from place to place by bringing these spheres with you. They just also happen to be their own little worlds. 
So in that sphere, there's other nodes that other spheres need to be placed on. Mm. So it's like these layering of that. So you'll bring a bunch of spheres into place and you'll lock them into their little nodes and it'll open a door and you'll walk through that door and have a boss fight. And the coolest thing, I mean, I didn't even say this part yet. The coolest thing is when you beat a boss, it unlocks a new way to traverse the world. So beating a boss of a certain sphere makes that sphere able to, when you're carrying it, let you traverse the world in a new way. Like, for example, the first sphere you get is this orange sphere. And after you beat the boss of the orange sphere, the orange sphere, when you hold it, will reveal hidden pathways that you can't walk on unless you're holding that sphere. It's like a light. It's a total Zelda mechanic. Total Zelda, right? Total. Yeah, yeah. And even Mario has that thing where you like you, know, you can walk on the pathway, yeah. but you can't see it unless you have the glasses on. So it yeah. does that. But so now there's pathways. <laughs> so mm. Follow me on this. So now there's a pathway that I need to walk on, but I'm inside a sphere, and and the orange sphere is up a layer. So I have to find a way to like get up a layer, grab the orange sphere, bring it into a different colored sphere. So I'm able to use that traversal mechanic inside that lower layer. Oh my God. Yeah. Cocoon and Alan Wake 2. Vic's digging it. Anyway. Cocoon and Alan Wake 2 both feel like, can you have nachos without cheese? Style yes. Games, right. You know? like, yes. That's a paid DLC reference. Ladies the and gentlemen. spheres would be cocoons though. Yes. <laughs> The sphere um, is a cocoon, no? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's the metaphor. Yes, right. Um, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, Instead of a, 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 a an insect coming out, it's a world coming right. out. Yes. Uh, anyway, highly recommend so cool. this game. I think yeah. it is. You know, if you liked Limbo, if you like that sort of short, very concentrated puzzle experience that will blow your mind and make and, and make you there. There's a number of moments in Cocoon where I was like, that's. The, that's one of the coolest things I've ever seen in a video game. You know? <laughs> um, and it, just the way it looks, the way it moves, the way everything is animated, you know, there's the cl- clever little puzzles. It's, it's very, very cool game. So, and it's so we're game up pass. to 35 game of the year yep, contenders yep, 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 for yep. 2023. <laughs> that's yep. awesome. So there you have it. <laughs> there you have it. All right. Well, uh, man, there's so much more we could talk about with you, Vic, and it's awesome having you here, but what, this is going to be the end of DLC. Thank you for hanging out with us. It's been way too long. Uh, tell folks where they can keep up with you and all the awesome stuff that you do online. Oh, I had a blast, you guys. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, I'm at uh, YouTube is sort of the mothership. YouTube.com slash EPN TV is where I, I post the edited pieces that I put up. Uh, whether they're reviews or interviews, I've got a review of Loki and I t- interviewed uh, the producer of Loki today. Uh, I think that'll go up tomorrow and reviews go up. And then I also stream um, on Twitch at twitch.tv slash EPN. And you can find me uh, on Twitter, although it just pisses me off a lot right these days, but it's <laughs> twitter.com slash uh, Victor underscore Lucas. So Victor underscore Lucas. Um yeah, and I just I do what I've done for a long time. I I interview people and and talk about the news stuff that's happening and and review all of these uh, these crazy things that are coming our way. And one it's of the best to have busy. ever done it, Vic. You're one of the <laughs> best to have ever done it for sure. For sure, <laughs> uh, we do have parting gifts, so stick around, ladies and gentlemen. But Christian Spicer, uh, what do you got going on this week? 
Well, this show is on threads and on Instagram at DLC Hype Train. You can find it there. Uh, we're also starting to put out chunks of video on the YouTube page, which is DLC Pod. You can find it on YouTube as DLC Pod. So last week, I think the um, Cyberpunk Phantom Liberty discussion is going went out, um, just that chunk. And then this week, we'll have two video chunks that will go out as well. Um, then I personally, this week, I'm very excited. I don't know if it's on my screen, but I have my racing wheel behind me. Um, and I've been playing a lot of GT seven VR with my racing wheel, but I am going back to the IRL track this week. Um, and I'll be, uh, if, if you are you interested, that Gran Turismo movie and thought it could be you. Is that what you, is that I right? haven't, I haven't watched that movie yet, to be no, honest. It's better than it. You, it has any right to be. It's I a agree. great little movie. It's pretty fun. Yeah, it was I'm, fun. It's made I'm for sure. you, Christian made for I, you again, again, again. I am not faulting the quality of the thing, more so the hours in the day. Um, yeah. But I will be going back out. It's been a while since I've been on a, a track, and I love it dearly, and I'll never be good, and I'll never make it to the real thing. But I'll probably talk about that on a Wednesday show coming up if you want to hear more about that. But I've been getting ready and getting my brain right and my body right and uh, going to go zoom, zoom for a little bit. Very nice. awesome. Very so cool. if I'm not I'll here be... on Sunday's show, something went horribly wrong. No, don't say that. <laughs> be careful, please. <laughs> don't, please. Don't say don't, that. Only safe. one Zoom. No Zoom Zoom, just one Zoom. That's true. Okay. That's Mazda's TM. I can't say Zoom Zoom. Get, uh, yeah. See, the, the way I do it is over Zoom. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, safe. Nice and safe. Much safer. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> Sounds right, like you a can, dad. Uh, you, you can follow me on uh, social media. I'm at Jeff Canada, which is spelled with two N's and one T. Um, other shows, I do the film cast, uh, which is a m- show about movies and TV shows. Uh, I do, uh, we have concerns, which is a comedy science show where you can learn something and laugh along the way and a sports show called the fan controlled show, which is available at fan controlled sports and entertainment on YouTube and, uh, across anywhere you get podcasts. Let's, oh, 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 one other thing I want to mention while I'm doing plugs is my book got funded. Uh, if yeah. you heard us last week, Huzzah. I'm doing a book of mm. limericks uh, that are based on all of the uh, f- limerick film reviews I've done on the film cast. It got funded this week. I want to thank folks that, uh, that that pre-ordered the book on unbound.com. Unbound.com awesome. is where you can go. Uh, the The crowdfunding is not done. So this is the way to pre-order this book. If you are interested in getting something maybe as a gift for somebody, uh, it's a fun, it's a quiz book. So it's, it, it, it's designed as a way to uh, you know, stump your friends by reading them a limerick about a movie. Uh, I'm pretty proud that it's uh, actually going to become a book. Um, awesome. But it, it won't hit store shelves until 2024. The best way to ensure that you'll get a copy and you can get a signed copy, you can get all kinds of cool perks, is heading over to unbound.com. Uh, slash books and checking out uh, uh, the book called Best Summed Up, the ultimate film limerick quiz book by me, Jeff Kanata. That's awesome, Jeff. Congrats, Thanks. man. Thanks, That's great. Rick. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm pretty pretty excited about it. Uh, all right, let's wrap the show up now with our parting gifts. Hey, give us a suggestion. Victor Lucas, can you give us a suggestion to help people get through their week? Um, let's see. Uh, I think you should watch a. Um, I'm under embargo, <laughs> but I think there's there's a there's a show coming to Disney Plus pretty soon. Um, that that 
may or may not be in the Marvel universe. That so you, you should... you're just trying to be low key about the way you're I'm talking. I'm very low about. key. Yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, gotcha. Yeah. Enjoy enjoy that if you happen to be on Disney Plus. <laughs> All right. Very cool. Very cool. I have no idea what you're talking about, but I appreciate it. Got to got to keep it low key. Gotcha. Uh, but the other thing is, um, I I'm a huge Indiana Jones fan, and Hasbro did right by us finally and released some cool six inch figures. I got them behind me. I'm not going to go back there and get them. But the 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 Adventure series Indiana Jones figures, I've been loving them. They oh. they are a, a nice big part of my collection now. Awesome. I have many indies. I had no indies. Now I have many indies. Wow. I got to <laughs> check those out. That's cool. I haven't heard somebody recommend an action figure in way too long. I love it. Well, you know what? I, I, uh, yeah, you got a few. I, I, I kind of dig them. I kind of yeah. like action figures. <laughs> That's very cool. Uh, Christian Spicer, what is your parting gift? Wow. I mean, it's hard to follow Vic because he's such a seasoned two pro. Wow. Um, <laughs> yes. Wow. Recommendations. Wow. But wow. there are incredible games coming out this October. Uh, as your resident pop punk, or just general music parting gift guy, this is going to be an incredible month of pop punk as well. New albums coming out from Blink-182, One More Time, which is, I think, going to be phenomenal from what they've released so far and what they've put out. Tom DeLonge back. It's their first album back, all three of them together. Produced. Right on. I don't know if he, Travis produced all the tracks or just most of them, but Travis kind of hitting his prime and taking all he's learned from everything producing other people's music and producing this blink so blink 182 one more time is this month uh beauty school dropout has a new album coming out this month called ready to eat the first few songs they've released from that are incredible i think freak is amazing they've done an acoustic version of freak as well which is beautiful and then taking back sunday also has a new album coming out this month called 152 um and one of the songs is called so old which I feel like is beautiful coming from Taking Back Sunday and also beautiful for what the scene is right now and some of these bands that have been through it all. And Taking Back Sunday is certainly one of those bands that has been through it all. So while you're playing all of these games, um, know that there are some great music options coming to uh, help you through your month as well. I don't know if I want to buy that 152 album. It feels 30 less than the other album you recommended. (laughs) Well, the kids now, (laughs) the kids now call it Blink 182. So it's not even 182. So, um, oh, wow. Certainly not one of those. (laughs) Um, my parting gift is a new show that uh, recently hit Apple TV plus, uh, and it has delighted me. It's a half hour comedy called Still Up. This is a British show, uh, and it is, uh, very post, 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 post modern show about a relationship of two people over the over the phone they it's a show that couldn't exist you know i don't know 15 years ago it's uh it's literally two people talking on cell phones walking through their lives in separate places but they have incredible chemistry with each other it's very charming it's very clever uh it's very funny and i love it it's two actors whose names i they're not known to me before the show okay uh, but the, I very much like their performances um, in Still Up. I don't know if I sent the show name yet. Still Up is the name of the show, um, and uh, it's it's really funny. It's really smart. It's it's you know it's a sitcom. It's but it's very clever, um, and like the fact that they can maintain have this great chemistry between them when they're clearly being recorded, you know, weeks apart. Probably they're you know because they're in different places. They're, the actors are in different places. Really cool. Uh, so check awesome. it out on Apple TV Plus. We also got a listener-suggested parting gift. This was sent to us at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Sent in by Pete, who says, hey, I'm recommending an audiobook series 
called Impact Writer. Season two just finished. Impact Winter. Thank you. Impact Winter. (laughs) Called Impact Winter, he said, (laughs) being able to read English. Um, Season two just finished, and it's about a group of vampire hunters that have survived the fallout and try to exist with the vampires constantly trying to poach them. The voice acting is superb, especially hearing Liam Cunningham, Davos Seaworth in Game of Thrones, and Bella Ramsey. It's it's on Spotify and Audible. I was hooked after an interrogation scene in the first few episodes. I'm personally not a massive fan of the vampire genre, but you don't have to be to enjoy this. It's just that good of an audiobook and has amazing production. All right, thanks, Pete. Again, that's called Impact Winter, and it's season two that Pete was recommending on Audible and Spotify. If you'd like to have your uh, parting gift on our show, send it to us, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Vic Lucas and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical guests, our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for those awesome bumpers. Our theme song was composed by White Cube, which is Jason Sherry and T. Ryan Arnold. We also need to thank our patrons who make this show possible by supporting us at patreon.com slash dlcpod. Our top-tier patrons, our hype-trained patrons, get a shout-out. And we've been talking on Paid DLC about switching it up and doing it a little bit differently. So we're going to try it out this week. Uh, Christian and I are going to take a couple of our patrons and describe the video game that they perhaps would be part of. For example, Christian, I know you recall Jason Novak, the game, uh, I believe it was on PlayStation 2, uh, the Jason Novak, where you played as uh, Novak, the uh, the character that just refuses to vacuum anything. I, I'm surprised that you got to play Novak, because I remember there was the one game my parents said I could not play, and I was like, it's teen, it's rated teen, but I, I there oh. was something in the game, I think it must have been that, like the no you, vacuuming. Christian. I'm older than you. You know, your parents just didn't didn't want any of that no vacuuming influence on your life because I you know every Jason Novak Game Pro I could find. I poured over the images, just like I mean, I was blown away by the graphics. And what blew my mind is that my parents let me get Eternal Champions, and like that was okay. Yeah, but like not vacuuming or something was not okay. I'm, you know. Yeah. So you, you would you would describe yourself as Jason Jason Novak, uh your <laughs> your whole childhood? <laughs> I mean, maybe the reason why I still love retro games to this day is going back and revisiting those games from my childhood that my parents denied me. <laughs> it felt like it was a re- that game was a response to you know the uh Luigi's Mansion game where Luigi's going around and vacuuming up ghosts cuz there were a lot of ghosts in Jason Novak, but you didn't vacuum. He refused to vacuum them up. Remember, he would just he would just literally just pull out a, a gun and shoot them in the face. <laughs> Maybe I mean, that's why your parents proposed it because it felt very violent, very violent. And, and I I can hear my dad saying already like we already have a Luigi's we already have a Jason Novak. And then it, I'd yeah. show him and be like, no, this is Luigi's mansion. And he'd be like, it looks the same to me. And no, there's I no vacuuming never... in the. It literally says no vacuum. Luigi's vacuuming constantly in this one. Thank you. I did as right. bad of a job trying to talk my parents into letting me get Jason Novak as I did today trying to explain Alan Wake too succinctly, you know, mm, apparently. Yeah. So that's okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, what, but uh, that pales in comparison to the Octavian Ratsiu game, right? Because uh, that first game, rotoscoped game. 
everybody thinks Prince of Persia was the the first rotoscoped animated game, but it was actually the Ratsuyu, which was phenomenal for that. I mean, I don't even think the Apple II could have handled it. I remember like that's where development <laughs> started, and it was just impossible to pull off those lifelike animations. Yeah, and it wasn't until later that we got the the complete edition of um the Octavian Ratsuyu, which yeah still it holds up. I think like my kids wouldn't be impressed by it necessarily, but to think about what else was like pitfall, you know, what else we were seeing in that day and time to see what Ratsu brought to the table in terms of gameplay and just quality yeah. of animation. I think games like The Last of Us can trace their lineage all the way back to yeah, that I, you know, style. I didn't like Settavian or Ninetavian, but Octavian was a great sequel. As sequels go, you know, it's such a long-lasting franchise. Um, but uh, it really hit a sweet spot between Settavian and Ninetavian before Desitavian. Desitavian felt like it just, the whole series just jumped the shark. Much like Ultima, one of your favorite franchises of all yeah. time. There's only a few good ones in there, and the good well, ones are great. there's a lot of good ones. They just fell off a cliff after seven. <laughs> Eight, nine, awful games. And so, so we should be happy then that Octavian had a great eight. Because yeah. you know how hard it is to make a great eight. It's hard to make a great eight. Final Fantasy eight, much maligned. <laughs> well, we we got to thank Jason Novak and Octavian Retsio for being uh, longstanding hype train patrons. And if you are in the hype train, rest assured, <laughs> your video game is coming. <laughs> thank you for supporting us. We appreciate it. That's going to be it for this episode. We'll see you next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world, make it a better place.